build our foundation. God, only by your word can we survive, Lord, not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of you. So, God, I pray today that as your word speaks, Lord, that we would be quick to listen. God, that we would not hide behind our insecurities or, Lord, or where we have failed, but we will run to your cross, Lord, and seek forgiveness and seek a right relationship with you. So, Lord, be with us today. God, speak boldly and let us hear. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Evan and Brian. It is indeed our privilege to have Lewis and Becky Miller with us today. Uh, Lewis Miller is not only a friend of Florida Baptist, he's one of our champions. And it's, uh, it's, it's not easy to get this guy to come. I mean, he's a busy man. Uh, we had to book Brother Lewis Miller a long time ago for this day to get him here. Uh, but I wanted to get Lewis Miller to Grace Church Bonifay because Grace needs to know Lewis Miller. Uh, Lewis Miller is our go-to guy. And no matter what it is you need, uh, whether it's planning a church or if you need a small loan to help you get through the week, <laughs> Lewis Miller is the guy to go to. Um, Lewis is the regional catalyst for our part of the state of Florida for the Florida Baptist Convention. The Florida Baptist Convention is comprised of about 2,800 Florida Baptist churches that stretch all the way from Pensacola all the way down into the Florida Keys. There's a bunch of us Florida Baptists and Lewis is our catalyst for the Florida Baptist Convention and he is a great help to us. Uh, he is a help to anybody that puts their hand to the plow, I can tell you that. Uh, as you know, uh, we just sent out a contingency of, of people, about 30 folk, Brother Lewis, we sent out here to start a church or plant a church in Bay County. And Brother Lewis Miller was extremely helpful in that. When you plant a church, it's more than just picking up and going plopping down somewhere. There's a a lot of logistical things. There's a lot of legal things that need to take place. And Lewis, um, uh, he paved the way and helped us with that. Now, that was our first one. Lord willing, Brother Lewis, it's not our last. So you stay close. We're going to need your expertise, brother. It's our privilege to have you and your wife, Becky, with us. I want you to come and, and just, just preach this uh, insulation down out of the ceiling today. Be fine. That's right, you've got one. I think yeah. I got me one. Yeah, you got it. Is that, that good now? Are we on now? Hey, good morning and thank you, Pastor. I hope I can live up to that introduction. Uh, man alive, that was incredible. Uh, I am so grateful for Pastor Richie, and, and I'm more excited that he said I'm his friend. I'm very excited to hear that. I want to be a friend of pastors, and some of you... Uh, may wonder what does the Florida Baptist Convention do and what does the regional catalyst do. Well, I have a pretty simple job description. That's how I qualified for it. It was simple. Um, I exist to serve the local church. As a catalyst with the Florida Baptist Convention, I serve the West region, which is about 200 and, or excuse me, yeah, 350 churches in this West region. It's from uh, basically the Apalachicola River to Pensacola. And uh, Becky and I Crestview, and it's a joy to be with y'all today. Um, uh, it's an honor always for me to be asked and given the opportunity to speak on behalf of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, I appreciate so much uh, Grace Church, and we love Thomas Gamble and Grace Covenant Church, and we're believing God's going to use them in a mighty way to reach, help reach Bay County. Becky and I served a, a local church in Bay County for 12 years, so we're familiar with that area. And we're glad that Thomas and that church is there. We were there the night they launched, and it was a great night. It was a great celebration. Many of you were there that night. I, I said to Becky, wow, there's as many Grace people here as there are Grace Covenant people, maybe more. And uh, it was just a wonderful show of support from you as a church family for launching new work. <clears throat> it's funny, and I know it would be hard for you to imagine. Every now and then I run into a pastor and say, I don't think we need no new churches. I know that's probably surprising for you to hear that. Uh, but the reality is, uh, if we had a church across the street over here, and then one down there at uh, 79 on the Waffle House side, and one over on the Tom Thumb side, 
it wouldn't be too many churches. There's so many lost people all around us, everywhere, people that are far from God, know nothing about God, have no need of God, they think. And uh, it's going to take new works to help us reach those of, of, of all kinds of folks. And aren't you thankful folks aren't exactly like you? I mean, because we got one of you. We need people that are different than us, and God's here to let us be the ones who communicate His love for all of them. If you brought a Bible, we're going to open it to Matthew chapter 16. This is really more, I, I met with Pastor Richie and we talked about today, and I got tickled with him saying he's a busy man. I'm no busier than any of y'all, okay? You work every week, you got a life and busy. Uh, he's talking about Sundays, and that's because I love to preach, and if I get a half a chance, I'm going somewhere to preach, and I am grateful for that. But I want us to talk a little about this uh, title, or this idea of who is Jesus. It's been on the screen, and... Maybe you've already opened to Matthew 16. I read recently an article, or a bit of an article, that really, <laughs> it just got my attention. Uh, I'm going to share with you what Dr. Jim Dennison in his daily blog, thedennisonforum.org, said. He said, a recent survey reported that 51% of Americans believe, 51% of Americans believe Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Over half of our country, and, and let me just say this, I, I, there's so many things, I, I've got a million things going through my mind, and I'm trying to cover just the ones that I think are of the Lord. I didn't say thank you to John Wilson. Uh, I, I need to say thank you to John Wilson. Uh, when Grace Church was just an idea, a, a passion born in a couple of guys' hearts, these two guys, and said, hey, can we talk about this possibility of having a church called Grace Church? And John, thank you, and thank you, brother, for your vision and witness and, and insight to say, hey, let's launch this thing. I just, I, when Thomas contacted me and said, hey, we're going to be planting out of Grace Church, I said, woohoo, Lord, you are good. You know, because here's a church that was a church plant, now planting church, and that's the way the kingdom of God expands. So thank you for that. Also, I was surprised this week, as you were, midweek, last past week, of the events that took place in our country. What I was more disappointed about, I think, was how many people on social media said they were changing their message because of the events that happened this week. And that's okay. I mean, that's their choice and their privilege. Maybe God led them to do that. I, I, I believe this is the message God has for us for today. I believed it on Monday. I believed it on Tuesday. And I sent a PowerPoint related to it on Wednesday. So I, I, didn't, I don't feel like we need to consider something. There's nothing more important than answering this question, who is Jesus? So Denison says, a recent survey reported 51% of Americans believe Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Only 37% disagreed, and 12% were unsure. Uh, it's very concerning to me, and it's why I felt like we needed to wrestle down this question who is Jesus? I want us to attempt to answer this. It's a very personal question. You need to answer the question in your heart, who is Jesus? So how would we do that? Well, our culture seems to be saying more than more that they don't see Jesus as fully God and fully man. Let's look at what does the Bible say. <laughs> well, let's go to the authority, right? And, and, and in case you don't understand where I'm at, I believe every word in this. I believe it's from God. It's for us to draw us closer to him and become, as someone said earlier, who he wants us to be. Aren't you glad he doesn't want you to be Lewis? I am, because I am, I'm supposed to be Lewis, right? In Christ, I'm supposed to be Lewis in him. You're supposed to be you in him. And so that's very important for us to embrace as we look at our text. So I want to mention just a few verses related, and, and maybe you just jot these down. You're at Matthew 16, you say, man, is he ever going to get there? Yeah, I will, it's about halfway sermon so stay with me here the first text is John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 and verse 14 so let's look at John chapter 1 if you want to just leave your marker there in uh, Matthew 16 we will get back to that but let's go first over to John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 and then verse 14 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God, and verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
And look now down to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you say, oh, back up in verses 1 through 3, who was the Word? The Word was Jesus. Jesus became flesh. The Word became flesh, it says there in verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, we see here in, in this text that uh, Jesus is fully God. It declares his involvement in the creation. He was present before and at the foundation of the world. This idea of salvation, this idea of him coming and being born in a manger that we just recently celebrated, this idea of him living a sinless life and dying a, a, a cruel, agonizing death, this idea, all of this happened before the foundation of the world, before breath was breathed, the breath of life was breathed into mankind. He was present before and at the foundation of the world and involved in creating mankind. He says in Genesis 1 and verse 26, let us create them, people, in our likeness. You were created in the likeness of God. I'm almost tempted to have you turn to your neighbor and say, you were created in the likeness of God. It's important for you to understand that. And some of you say, well, what happened to you, Lewis? Where'd your hair go? It doesn't say anything about hair. It's a, the image of God is in each one of us. We were created in his image by Jesus. See, Jesus is fully God. Now, I don't know if y'all are amen in church, but I heard one or two mumble it out there with you. I thank the Lord for you. That was, that was a spot right there. You could have got up and run around the room. Woo! Amen. Jesus is fully God, all right, so let's look at another passage then. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 2. Paul challenged the Philippian church to have this mindset or the mind of Jesus in them as followers of him. Here's what he says in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. He says, Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God... Now stop and pause just right there a minute and think about what he just said. Jesus was in the form of God. He was fully God. He was present at the creation. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And I don't know how Paul did not write in right there, what? Right? I mean, are you kidding me? Equality with God was not something to hold on to? What? I know some power-hungry folks in this life who would love to have equality with God. I thank the Lord they don't. But anyway, I mean, really, he, he, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And look at verse 7, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was born just like we have been born, physically born. And being found in human form... He became the man. No, what does it say? He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, amen and amen. Paul states Jesus was in the form of God, but he took on human form. He humbled himself in agonizing obedience. Hey, can I just ask you, I mean, don't answer this out loud, but, but honestly, your obedience to Christ, what's it cost you? It's worthy of thinking about, considering. Your obedience to Christ, what has it cost you? Agony, ridicule, mocking, beatings, people spitting on you? Drive nails in your skin? No. Most of us have had none of those things happen in our lives, right? And yet he gave us this godly, perfect example of obedience in a human form in agonizing obedience so that he could make possible his redemptive plan, the redemptive plan that was established before the foundations of the world, that plan of redeeming you and me. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Thank you, Jesus. He was fully man. Jesus was fully man. And yet he was sinless man. 
Mm, there's a difference. In at least three other gospel accounts, Jesus declares his equality with God, and I'll just touch on these three, and we'll try to keep moving along. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus taught the unrepentant cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. <laughs> and as I was reviewing my notes this morning, I put in the margin in the USA. But anyway, <laughs> he says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. It's sort of a preamble to the Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right there before the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples, he says. Since I have all authority, we sang about not fearing, not being beaten down. Why is that? Why can we have that hope today? Because Christ has all authority. But read on what he says there in, in Matthew 11 and verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. In other words, no one knows Jesus like God the Father. No one knows Him like God. And no one knows the Father, look at this, except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Hey, Christian, can I ask you, did you come to faith in Christ? What did, how did that come about? I'll tell you how. The Son chose to reveal God the Father to you. Can you imagine that? When you were a Sandlot kid, ball player, people wouldn't pick you to be on their team, and yet God chose you to reveal the Father to you. Man, woo! Amen, that's awesome. I don't know, y'all, you must not have been as bad as I was. It's an early reference to not only the full authority of Jesus, where he says all things have been handed over to me, but it's also a reference to his intimate equality with God the Father. It's really a foundational step in our Trinitarian thinking of Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, those three are one, right? Uh, another passage in the Gospels, Mark 14, verses 61 and 62. This is where Jesus had been brought in and falsely accused. He'd been, you know, they had these guys trumpet. Well, he said he'd tear down the temple in three days and rebuild. You know, the stories didn't even align. And so Jesus is standing before the high priest being falsely accused by these witnesses they brought in that can't even get their stories together. And notice what it says in Mark 14, verse 61. But he remained silent and made no answer. Well, that's, that's like me and you, right? <laughs> you get falsely accused, we just remain silent, right? Uh, I don't. I just say for me. <laughs> I get You falsely accuse me, I'm going to speak up. I, I need to learn from Jesus here, right? And, and so what happens? The high priest asked Jesus, look what he asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And how did Jesus answer? Two words, I am. And in that great Hebraic mind of high priest, whoop, he goes right back over there to Exodus chapter 3, and he's at a bush that's burning and won't be consumed with a guy who's stammering, telling God, who should I say sent me, Pharaoh? Who should I say sent me? He asked God. Moses asked God at that bush that wouldn't be consumed. And how did God You tell him, Big Daddy sent No, that's not what he said. What did he say? You tell him, I am that I am sent you. You say, why would Jesus, why would God call himself I am? <laughs> because he is. What do you mean he is? I mean he is now. He was then. And he will be in the future. He is God Almighty. He is the one true and living God. And so Jesus answers, I am. And then he goes on. <laughs> and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. His use of I am really connected him there with the teaching of Moses. We'll move on quickly for time's sake. Of one last passage where Jesus refers to himself as God. One of my favorite. It's one of my... <laughs> there's so many... <laughs> But John 9 and 10, I love John 9 and 10. And John 10, I love John 9 because here's a guy that was born blind. And never before had anybody who was born blind been healed. And he got healed and they brought him in and questioned him, you know, and brought the parents in. All. Anyway, it's a great story. You need to read it this afternoon, John 9. John 10, he talks about, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. 
Any of y'all got grown adult kids in the room? I do. I got, we got two of them, Becky and I. When I call our daughters on the phone, I don't have to say, hey, Heather, it's your father. <laughs> I mean, by the time I say, hey, she says, hey, Dad, right? Why is that? Because she knows my voice. She recognizes, oh, no, she's got caller ID. No, it really is. She knows my If she didn't have caller ID, she would still know me, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. And then he says in John 10 there in verse 27, 28, those the Father has placed in my hand, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. You, you've heard preachers say in, in years gone by, yeah, if you get tired of following Jesus, just tired of not, uh, not in the rope and hang on. Hey, brother, you're not hanging on to Jesus. You're not hanging on to Jesus. If it was up to you to hang on to Jesus, you'd run out of strength. I know that's true of me. Instead, the Father is holding me. He's holding me. Brother, I just want you to know I'm on your team. I love the way you read Scripture. And with them guns, I'm with you. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just saying, I, when the man came to read Scripture, I paid attention. I got Romans 8. I'm with you. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm just thinking about our Heavenly Father. His guns are bigger than his guns, right? I mean, he's holding us in his hand. And then notice what, how he concludes all that in verse 30 of John chapter 10. He says, I and my Father are one. Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's interesting to me the response of the hearers in these gospel accounts was either an attempt to silence him, or the terminology today, to censor him, or to kill him. They wanted to either hush him up or let's get rid of him altogether. So why does it matter that we understand that Jesus was both fully God and fully man? Well, I'm just going to real quick here. If Jesus was not fully God, then he's no more to be followed than any other great teacher of our day or of centuries gone by. If he was not fully God, he's just he's Billy Graham. <laughs> He's whoever, you, you, some great teacher you like. If he's not fully God, he's no different than any one of those guys. And we can learn lessons from him. But let me ask you this. If he's not fully God, why would we surrender our lives in agonizing obedience as modeled by Jesus if he's only a man and not God? Why would you do that? I understand we have a missionary in the room. Why would you go to the mission field? What a fool you are, whoever you are, wherever you are. You went off doing something for some man. I don't know the person. I don't even know where he's at in the room. But I'm about to tell you, if you talk to him, he'll tell you, my Jesus was not just a man. He was not just a great teacher. He is fully God, and my faith is fully in him. That's why people go to the mission field. They have confidence in the face of death. <laughs> and by the way, Christians are being killed in large numbers in different places around our world. Why are they there? Why don't they come home? Because they're commanded. They're compelled by the love of Christ for their own accusers and attackers. That's why. If he is fully God, though, and fully man, then we have to understand and embrace there's never been another like him or after him. Never been another like him. And in him alone is all authority and power and dominion and love and grace and mercy and life. Look over to Matthew chapter 17. I just want to read a few verses here. And this isn't on the screen. Whoever's doing the screen, I'm sorry. It's not there. So just, just hang on. This is this just in this morning. You know? So <laughs> Matthew 17. Look at verses 1 through 9. And after, si after six days, Jesus took with him his buds. Peter, James, and John, right? He took with him and his brother and led them up the mountain by themselves. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. What? His face shone. I mean, that's brighter than a suntan. That's, shown, that's bright. All right? His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. I'm pretty sure they weren't white when they went up the mountain. You walk in the desert dust and you know, mud and those kinds of things. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, talking with Jesus. Here's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus talking. And so Peter, of course, there, my buddy. 
Peter, yeah, he comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed all of them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Look what it says. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched him and said, Rise, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. You think there was some intentionality in that whole experience? The glory of God was in that place on that mountain. The voice of God spoke boldly, This is my son, fully God, yet fully man. Becky and I were talking about this on the way over here. I said, Can you imagine after this experience in Matthew 17? How many times the disciples wanted to go up and just say, <laughs> you know, are, are you, does this hurt when I do, you know, I mean, just pinch, you know, I mean, because, I mean, all of a sudden, this guy they've been following is now revealed to them as fully God. What? Fully God. All the power and authority of God Almighty in this man they've been following. See, Luke reminds us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, this is why Jesus had all authority and power. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name and authority of Jesus. Fully God and fully man. I, I did not coordinate this with Pastor Richie uh, when he said he was going to do the introduction and talk a little about Florida Baptist. We, we looked at what the Scripture says. I, I think the Scripture's clear. It clearly declares Jesus is fully God and fully man. But what do the Baptists say? Who cares, right? I know, I know. But stay with me <laughs> because it's important. See, these are doctrines we hold dear. I didn't even know we were Baptists until Pastor Richie said that just a few minutes ago. I understand. Hey, by the way, you're affiliated with the Florida Baptist Convention and the Southern Baptist Convention. But anyway, let me talk to you just a minute. We have a little booklet. If you've never seen it, I'd love to get you some copies here. If you want them, it's called Baptist Faith and Message. There's a 2000 edition of it. The latest edition of it is 2000. And here's what it says about Jesus. Here's what we as Southern Baptists say we believe about Jesus. It's going to be on the screen. Here we go. First, it says, Christ is the eternal Son of God. In His incarnation as Jesus Christ, in His birth in Bethlehem, that's that incarnation, in His incarnation as Jesus Christ, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed, listen to this, revealed and did the will of God. Some of us know God's will, don't we? You ever heard a preacher give a testimony about I ran from God. He was trying to call me into ministry, and I ran off from God. I was scared to go out there in faith and trust the Lord, you know. Thinking, wait a minute, if God reveals his will to you, why don't you run to him, right? If he has all authority and all power and all direction and ability in our lives. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind. Notice those last three words, yet without sin. See, it's a good thing Jesus was fully God. Because I've heard some other people, I mean not in this church, but in other places where I go, I've heard people say to me, well, I'm not Jesus. Hey, good, we already got one of those. But we do need you to be you in Christ, right? And it's important that he was fully man and yet did not sin. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus understands your struggles. He didn't have no iPhone. Aren't you thankful for that? <laughs> I mean, the, the temptations were the same, right? Jesus faced the same temptations you face. Well, I don't face no temptations. Oh yeah, brother, I can tell you like biscuits. 
Yeah, there's all kinds of temptation. Don't go to the worst example you can think of. Biscuits can be a temptation. One is good, a dozen are too many. Right? <laughs> no, not fake catheads. They're good. Put syrup on them. They're good, yeah. I understand. He is a high priest who is, unable, who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, in the Baptist faith and message, he, Jesus, honored the divine law by what? By his personal obedience. He was fully surrendered to God's plan from the beginning. And in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision, praise his name, for the redemption of men from sin. There's the possibility you can be saved from the sin that got you all mixed up and messed up in here and in here. Listen to this passage from Romans chapter 6 related to this truth and reality that he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. In Romans 6 verses 5 through 11 it says, For if, you have been, if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You ever felt that way? Lord, I'm trying to quit. Lord, I want to quit. Lord, I don't mean to do it. Please help me, God, stop doing it, whatever it is. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Woo! Did you hear that? We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Woo! Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Look at this. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He made provision for the redemption of men. Sin doesn't have to be your boss anymore. Sin doesn't have to have dominion and control in your life and your thoughts and your actions and your speech. God help us with that, right? Help us die to the old Lewis and live to Christ in me that we sang about earlier. The Baptist faith and message goes on and says, He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before the crucifixion. And you want some references there, John 20 and 21. Multiple appearances of Jesus before his disciples and many others. And then it says, in, and continues in the Baptist faith and message, He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, and whose person is affected, the reconciliation between God and man. I heard, I came in early and got a cup of coffee and eavesdropped on the student class. And they were talking about this very thing, that Jesus makes possible the reconciliation of sinful man with holy God. See, holiness can have nothing to do with sinfulness. He said, well, I just don't like this kind of preaching. I wish he'd talk about how good people are. Really? How good people are. Have you served in the preschool lately? Back here in child care? how to do wrong how do they do it so good because they have a sin nature we're all born with that same sin nature nobody has your parents don't spend their life trying to teach you how to do wrong that comes to you pretty naturally i've said many times in my own testimony at age 13 i heard the gospel that pastor didn't have to tell me i was a sinner i knew it <laughs> i was good at it i knew how to lie and steal and whatever else needed to be done for to please me right no, it was God. It was Jesus who reconciled me. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. Who is it? The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The last part of the Baptist faith and message statement says, He will return in power and glory. Woo! He's coming back. Hey, it may be tough now. It's going to get better. He is 
back. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. And he now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. See, the scriptures declare Jesus is Lord. We as a denomination of cooperating churches align around that belief that Jesus is Lord, fully God and fully man. But even in the days when Jesus was walking the earth, performing signs and miracles and wonders, seems like there were still questions even then. Hey, we made it to the text. Whew, that's the longest introduction on, on record, right? Let's just look at this text and we'll land the plane, okay? Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am, the Son of Man? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? What are people saying about me, disciples? What are you hearing? And look how they responded in verse 14. They said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And certainly he showed qualities and fulfillments of many of the things that were spoken by those men before him. And then Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter, doesn't he, in verse 15. He says, But who do you? Say that I am. Who do you say that I am? Well, here's my buddy Peter again. He always comes in there just like Louis. They have a bull in a china shop. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Woo! Hey, guys, get up and woo! And all the disciples got up and woo, 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 right? I mean, there was excitement about You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered Simon and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John or Barjona, uh, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me just do a real quick side note, because I want us to stay kind of focused on the relationship of Jesus and Simon Peter, because maybe you're like me and you can relate. But one side note about this phrase, I will build my church. He didn't have a denomination in mind. That wasn't what he was talking about. He, he didn't even have an organized, necessarily, group. I, I, uh, Dr. Craig Blomberg, in his commentary on this text, describes Christ's church. I love the way he describes it. Let me just share with you his description. He says, His church, Christ's church, is a gathered community of his followers, and Jesus will help them grow. Oh, aren't you thankful for that? We can gather together, celebrate Him, and grow, learn, become. Jesus' church, He continues, will comprise the community of people who, listen to this, submit to God's kingly rule. Mm. It's, uh, this text we just read, this Matthew 16 text, is often a great confession. And in this text, Simon believes. I really think he was sincere. I don't think it was just a pep rally. I think he was really sincere in saying, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And notice Matthew 16 is just ahead of the transfiguration experience we read about in Matthew 17. So he hadn't even had that happen yet. And here he was saying, you are the Christ. He was making a bold statement of his faith, of his believed or perceived faith, that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus tells him, hey Simon, it's God himself that's revealed that to you. And that's a reference back to our Matthew 11 passage we started with earlier today. Because in Matthew 11, 25 and 26, we looked at verse 27, but in 25 and 26 he declares that God the Father has hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but revealed them to little children. Why would God hide that? I see this all over America. I see this all over Florida. I see this all over the West region, the panhandle of Florida. We know too much. <clears throat> Brother, let me just tell you what I know about that. My philosophy on that is, and here we go. When you just try to simply explain the gospel to somebody, share the gospel with somebody, well, I don't know if I fully embrace that. What I more tend to think is, and I've been taught, and I've read, and I know, and I know, me monster comes out, right? And so God reveals to those who will come to him in childlike faith and trust, and embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. I've heard people say the gospel's for simple-minded people. <laughs> Thank God. 
Can we say thank you, God, that it is? I'm a simple mind. I got a simple mind, and I need a simple salvation, and an understanding gospel truth. He didn't make it complicated, so you would trust him. He made it as easy as possible for you to trust him. He paid all the price, the penalty for our sins. Why? So you would trust him. Why would Jesus do this? That guy must have been crazy. No, he loves you. No, he don't even know me. Oh, yeah, he knows you. He made you. And his image is in you. And he did it because he loves you. How do you know that, Lewis? Romans 5, 8. Look at it later. Uh, so Peter had not fully applied this bold statement of faith that he made here, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Because if you just look a few verses down, Jesus starts telling his disciples, now listen, we're going to go back. And I'm going to be persecuted, and I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed. And I just see Peter's eyes start like this, and then they're like this, and they're like, what? <laughs> what? No. So he pulls Jesus aside. Wait a minute, Jesus. This can't happen. This ain't not a good plan. I don't think that's the way it's supposed to work out. And notice from, from what is it, verse 15, 16, uh, 18, excuse me, I'll find it here, 15, to just a few verses later, what does Jesus say to that idea? Get behind me, Satan. What? How can you go from hero to zero in about seven verses? Because that's our nature, isn't it? I got a plan. I got a better plan, Jesus. Oh, really? <laughs> Have you ever thought about asking Jesus what's his plan for your life instead of you telling him, oh, here's my plan, Jesus, will you bless this? No. What is your plan for my life, right? Here Jesus was following God's plan from the beginning. And here's Simon Peter being called Satan, the one who had just said he was Jesus was the son of the living God. We also know this same Simon denied Jesus. He denied knowing him three times. If you want to look in Matthew uh, 26, it's there, all three accounts. But here's the good part of the story of, of the relationship between Simon Peter and Jesus after Jesus was raised victorious over death in the grave. <laughs> after that. He restored Simon's focus and purpose. And he asked him the same question three times. What did he say? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times Simon said, Lord, you know I love you. You know, I mean, he had denied him, but he was broken about it. He went out and wept bitterly. He said, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. So what did Jesus tell him to do? All right, then give all your money and, and, and braid your hair. And No, what did he tell him to do? What did he say? He said, feed my sheep. And then he concludes with these two words. All the way back to Matthew 4 when he first called Peter. Follow me. You remember playing that game in elementary school? Follow the leader and the leader and you're supposed to walk along and do that. What You know, whatever the leader did, you're supposed How, Why did you even cooperate in that? Because you weren't the leader. You were just in line, right? See, when Jesus said, follow me, that means he's in front. He's leading. He's driving. You know, God's my co-pilot. You're in the wrong seat, right? You've all heard that. You know what I mean? He's the leader. Follow him instead of telling him how you'll do this Christian thing. Feed my sheep and follow me. His, Simon Peter's faith was, and focus were restored. He became a bold witness for who Jesus is from that point forward. Once, you know, and it's, can we just be honest with each other? It's easy to get off track, isn't it? It's easy to move away and mess up and deny and say things we wish we hadn't said. The good news of this story, this relationship of Peter and Jesus is there's restoration to be had. There's reconciliation to be made. But you've got to decide, am I going to follow him? Am I going to feed his I can't make up my mind, is this message for believers or for lost folks? <laughs> Seems to me it's for all of us. So later, Simon communicates his bold faith with confidence. When there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, he preached, and here's what he said. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, for certain, he's now convinced, isn't he? Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Interesting, when he made that statement, the response of the people to Peter's message that day was, what must we do to be saved? What must we do? They heard the truth and were convicted by it. When we're drawn by God's grace through faith, we come to an understanding of who Jesus is and who we are and everything about us changes. I get asked some funny questions, some odd questions from time to time. What are we going to do if them gays show up over here at our church, preacher? What are we going to do with them? I got an idea. I got an idea. I got a, I got a strategy. You ready? You may want to write this down. Love them. Love them. But now listen, it's easy to amen that. I'm with you, brother. Amen. But listen, don't, don't just lie to them. Don't just say, you know, we're just going to love you and tolerate you. And we, no, 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 no. Tell them the truth. What was it that drew you to Jesus? Wasn't it his love for you, the sinner, who didn't deserve his grace and mercy and forgiveness? But have you not noticed, like me, I love that passage you read, brother, because nothing, nothing, you said it, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate me. <laughs> Uh-oh, wait, there's another side of that. See, his love won't leave me alone. Have you noticed that about his love? It changes us. Oh, it made the initial salvation transformation. Boom, he did it. But now this journey of walking with him, I'm not who I was in 2020. I'm not who I was in 2019. I'm not who I was in 1999. I'm not who I was back when I was saved in 1971. No, it's been a constant journey, a constant process of being changed. Change how, Lewis, into his likeness. And I'm still not there. I think that's pretty obvious. It goes without saying. So if we're going to love those who are different from us, love those who are lost, love those who are far from God, let's tell them the truth. His love will save you and continually change you until you see face to face. Let's give them the full gospel. Don't, don't give them a part. We're just going to love y'all. No, if we love him... We will engage with Jesus in leading others to know and love Jesus as he reveals himself to them. See, who you say Jesus is impacts not only your eternity, but who you're becoming daily and the direction of your life into the future. So here's my last question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say? See, if you say he's God's son, fully God and fully man then you're acknowledging his sovereign authority over your life in every area and his ability to not only save you, but to transform you, to change you. Kids love transformers. We got three grandsons. Transformers, robots in disguise. You know, right? I mean, they, they love that stuff. Great teaching tool to talk to them about how Jesus can change you from a car to a human. No, no. But seriously, how Jesus can change us from the inside out, right? He changes our attitudes, our actions, our speech. Everything about us, he changes. Well, I'm not that bad of a person, preacher. I don't really need to be changed all that much. Oh, really? Have you asked your friends? I mean, I don't, don't, I don't recommend that. But The question is, will you surrender your life to Jesus today as both Savior and Lord? And let me define those two terms because I know we don't always fully understand Savior and Lord. He's saving you from the eternal separation that sin brings in our lives between us and holy God. That's what I mean by Savior. And accepting Him as Lord as the one in charge, the one who's guiding, leading, convicting, correcting, and loving you. He's the one in charge. He's the boss. He's the Lord, and He's drawing you to Him today to be saved. Nicodemus was a highly educated man in the New Testament. And he came to Jesus and he said, we can tell something different about your teaching, Rabbi. What must I do to be saved? Listen to what Jesus said to him in John 3 and verse 3. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I ask you, will you be born again? It's a new year. It's a great time. It's a perfect day because you've understood today who Jesus 
is and how much He loves you and wants you to walk in relationship with Him every day. Church, will you go from this place determined to help others how they can know Jesus, how they can follow Him with you? I heard grace groups were coming back. Hey, there's a way we could follow in grace groups. Why don't you let them see and hear the rest of this week, into this week and beyond, who Jesus is to you. Will you stand with me and let's pray together? Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the faithfulness of these folks to stay with me. even and Lord, I thank you that your word does not return void. And I don't know the hearts of people here. I'm so thankful for that. Because you know what needs to take place right now in this moment. I don't think in the preaching of a group this size, uh, the teaching of your word, that we should take it lightly and just walk out saying, man, that's finally over. But maybe we really should search our own hearts and ask ourselves, who do I believe Jesus is? Just a man? Just a great teacher? Or is he really God? And I need him. There's nothing wrong with admitting our need of Jesus. We're all sinners. Jesus has just revealed himself to some of us and we've been born again. Today, to the same experience of beginning a personal relationship with him, following him as Savior and Lord of your life. Church, some of us have, we took the wrong offering. We're lost out here in the weeds and we're looking for the way back. And the word reminds us that we'll confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. This is for believers, for people who claim to be followers of Jesus. He will cleanse us from our sins and restore to us righteousness. Is that you today? Will you trust the Lord and have his way in your heart and life? We're going to sing a song to conclude. As we sing this song, Pastor Richie is here. I know he'd love to pray with you. Introduce you to Jesus, his Savior and his Lord. Maybe there's others here that would pray with you. There's some empty chairs along the front. We can make that an altar and just come kneel and bring our burdens to the Lord. Why would we do that, Lewis? Because he cares for you. And your church family maybe wants to come around and pray and lay hands on them and just encourage your heart. Would you just trust the Lord and let him move in whatever way he desires? Listen for him, my sheep. Follow me. Father.